She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Kolchek the Night Stalker. Episode 16. Demon in Lace. In this episode, men are dying around a college campus and beautiful women might be involved. The women might possibly also stink or something. It's hard to say, but you think that would be a turnoff. And they might actually be a succubus that's related to this ancient clay tablet that this overwrought professor is trying to decipher. Guess who believes this story? Kolchek. Guess who doesn't? Basically everyone, especially Vincenzo. And surprise, surprise, the police. But guess who's right? Mm. <laughs> no mm. prize no prize for guessing who's right on that one uh, i'm gonna go with kolchek yeah I, yeah i would think so the teleplays by stephen lord michael kozel and david chase the story is by stephen lord this episode was directed by don weiss and its original air date was friday february 7th 1975 at 8 p.m 8 p.m. So we get our opening sequence. And then I said last time the opening monologue we get from Kolchak was kind of weird. This one also kind of weird. It was Goethe who said that we love girls for what they are. Well, even the great Goethe could have learned something from the tale that took place on the campus of Illinois State Tech. <laughs> Ooh, weird. Very weird. 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 Anyway, some blonde dude is driving a light blue convertible Corvette. I think it's a 1958 one. Might be a 1959. I'm not sure. And then this blonde woman, possibly in glitter heels. The heels definitely look like they're glitter heels. And she's wearing this kind of like sheer robe dress because we see her from behind in the headlights. And you can totally see like the shape of her body through the dress. And then she's got like the satiny turtleneck. Anyway, she steps out in front of his car. He doesn't hit her and kill her. He stops. And just kind of looks at her and smiles. And she smiles at him. Mm. And then we get Kolchak's voiceover. May 10th, 1102. Don Reiner, the school's star running back and candidate for All-American, was out for a drive. And then we see the woman. She walks over and she gets in the car. And they drive away. Yay. Except Kolchak says, Don never did make All-American. Uh-oh. So then we see them, they're laying in the grass and they've either been making out or about to make out when she gets up and says, let's take a walk, Don. And he's like, okay. And then we see this other dude walking and he's wearing a Letterman sweater and he's walking through the park, I guess, or wherever we're at. We'll find out later. And we hear this laughter and he turns to see something. And then whatever he sees, he kind of smiles and keeps on walking. And then we see what he saw. He saw the woman running and laughing <laughs> and she's taking her heels off which is good because running through grass that would be hard to do and don's chasing after her and he's laughing too <laughs> and then they tumble into the grass he kind of tackles her he's a football player i guess but not like hard tackle they tumble into the grass and they start making out and then as they're making out we're looking at them from above and we see this super gross looking hand caressing the back of don's head hmm then we see Don, he's like, ah, and he's trying to get up and we can see why, because we cut to reverse angle 
And the blonde woman is actually this raisin looking zombie thing with like crazy frizzy gray hair and bloodshot eyes and no lips. And but for a running back, he's not good at running because he just kind of like, oh, oh, and like trying to crawl backwards, trying to get away from this thing. And it just keeps coming towards him. Oh, we have commercial. It's a pretty short preview. This episode. Yeah. So when he first pulls up to the woman in the car, I thought it was going to be one of those like woman in white ghost stories where like the woman gets in the car and then he learns she's been dead the whole time or like he crashes into the car and only his body's left and the woman's body's gone. So like we know the woman was there, but it looks like he crashed by himself, that kind of thing, because that's what it looked like, because like she's wearing white and like he pulls up anyway. That's what I thought it was going to be. I was wrong. but that I mean, the woman's dead thing. Kind of not wrong. Not wrong, but, but yeah, it's not the same kind of. I thought it was like a ghost thing. That's what we're gonna get, but not quite. Spooky not quite. Ghost stories. Nope. Not spooky ghost stories. Succubuses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if succubuses make that noise, but they should because their name is succubus. But anyway. <laughs> so then we see Kolchak driving as the credits roll over. So it's May 11th, 10 a.m. And Kolchak tells us he wasn't too jazzed about the press conference Vincenzo was sending him to. But then on the police band, he hears about two bodies that were found on the IST campus near the lake. And that gives him an excuse. So that and running out of gas, which he didn't plan. So his car dies on vapors as he pulls into like the crime scene and he's like feet from the police vehicles. And Kolchak hops out and runs past the patrolman and the ambulance and the onlookers. And we see there's this doctor looking at the blonde woman who's lying on the grass. And he says, there's no sign of trauma on either one of them. And Don, his body is already wrapped and strapped to a gurney. And the doctor says, there's no address on the girl, but they know that she has spike tracks on her arm. So she was clearly doing drugs. And Kolchak is in the background snapping photos. And we see Captain Joe, mad dog Siska. And he can't get over the look on Don Ryder's face as the paramedics take him away. And the doctor says, I know, it's like that other student they found on Thursday, Burdett. They look like they were scared to death. And Siska says they need to keep that part quiet. And the doc is like, no worries. Burdett is listed as natural causes. Heart attack. Now this kid too. And Siska says, well, there's no law against dropping dead. And the doctor asks Siska what he thinks is going on. But before Siska can answer, we hear the voice of a young woman off screen say, excuse me, Captain. And so Siska turns around to see her. And then we see her also. And she's a young woman with short reddish brown hair, glasses. She's wearing an army surplus field jacket, got a turtleneck, bell bottom jeans. And she's got a notepad and pencil. And as she walks towards Siska, Siska sees Kolchek behind her. And is like, how long have you been here? And Kolchak like looks behind him, like, "Oh, you're not talking to me." And then he's like, "Who me?" <laughs> and Cisco's like, "How long?" So Kolchak slowly walks up and he's just like, "There's no law against dropping dead." And Cisco says, "If he puts that on the wire, we'll have Kolchak 86 permanently." And Kolchak is like, "I was just passing through." And the young woman tries to introduce herself again, and she's like, "I'm Rosalind Went." And then Cisco's like, "Just a minute, just a minute." It's like totally doesn't let her finish, interrupts her, and then goes back talking to Kolchak. And ask Kolchak if he wants another ride in a police car. And Rosalind tries again. And then in not a good look for Kolchak, he's like, he both tells her to hush up and to shut up at the same time. While also like waving his hand at her like, hey, go away, girl. So not a good look, Kolchak. I'm not happy with that. Anyway, 
Kolchak asked Siska if the department has a formal writ to suppress, and if so, who signed it? Who? The third time is a charm because Rosalind comes in and she says, I'm Rosalind Winters, a reporter for the Blue Monitor. Siska's like, the Blue what? And she's like, the Blue Monitor, the Campus Weekly. And then she asks if he has a comment to make. And then Kolchak's like, well, <laughs> do you? And Siska's like, yes, but you couldn't print it. And then he just turns around and walks away. And he tells this huge dude that was like sitting on the grass nearby to come along. So they walk over to this car. Kolchak butts in between Siska and this huge dude and gives the guy's name. His name is Mark Hansen. He was a friend of the deceased. And then Siska squeezes this dude into a car. And Rosalind's like falling behind everybody. And she's like writing everything down as they're talking and getting names and all that kind of stuff. And Siska threatens to break Kolchak's face. But Kolchak just makes kissy noises at him and pats Siska's face and says, I love you too. And Siska gets all mad. He gets in the car with Hansen. And Kolchak asks him how his therapy is going. Because remember, last time Siska was around, he was in therapy. Right? Yeah, he's in therapy for anger management, which doesn't work yeah, and, well and Kolchak broke around. Because he was doing really good and Kolchak broke him. And so Siska slams the door and then the driver starts the car and they take off. So the triumphant return of Keenan Wynn as Mad Dog Siska. Yay. Yes. Sadly, he's only like in two episodes. So this is the last yeah. time I see him. But he would have, I would have liked to see him, I think, more. Yeah, for sure. So Kolchak starts to leave, but he spins and slams right into Rosalind, who was following him. And then he asks her where the nearest gas station is because he ran out of gas. And she tells him it's about a mile that way. And Kolchak's like, do you have any wheels? And she's like, yeah. So they head towards her vehicle. And then we see the scooter bouncing over this hill. And Rosalind's wearing a helmet. And driving and Kolchak sitting behind her and he's holding a gas can and then he's holding onto his hat and trying not to fall off. So they pull into a small gas station and Kolchak gets off and he's like, you know, when I asked about a set of wheels, I meant four. And Roslyn's trying to tell him that they should work together on this story because she knows the campus in and out. And Kolchak's like, nope, I always work alone. And she's like, well, if you work alone, you walk alone. And Kolchak's like, well, OK, wait, yeah, we can talk maybe next week. And she's like, talk or walk, Kolchak. So at least she knows not to take any of his nonsense. So that's good. And Kolchak's like, okay, yeah, well, you talk first. You're supposed to know this place backwards and forwards. So she says it's weird that they found Don Reiner dead with that girl next to him, because that's how they found Pete Burdett, too. And Kolchak's like, what? I didn't hear anything about that. And Rosalind says that a good reporter has their contacts. And so Kolchak asks who the girl was. Where was she from? What did she die of? And Rosalind is like, um, uh, I'm working on that. And Kolchak asks for some facts, some names, some dates. Was she dressed? Was she nude? Was she half nude? And Rosalind's like, I don't know. I'm still working on it. And Kolchak asks if Burdette or Reiner had any previous history of heart attacks. And again, Rosalind's like, I don't know. And so he asks what kind of reporter she is. And she's like, I said I was working on it. And Kolchak's like, well, when you're done working on it and have some facts, let me know. And Rosalind says some collaboration. And she just like pulls away on her scooter and leaves Kolchak behind. Yep. To be fair, I think it's kind of deserved. So I super heart Rosalind. I think she's great. I think she's funny. I love, I mean, I was a college journalist as well. So maybe I just appreciate it. But yeah, I think she's great. And I think she's fun. And I wish she was in it more. I don't think she will be. She is played by Christina Holland, who apparently played Steffi on the show Butch Cassidy, which I have never seen. 
And she's had a handful of other roles and appearances in shows that, again, I just haven't seen. So I haven't really seen her in anything. But I do love her and I love the character. So I think she does a good job. She's not unlikable. No. No. And she does. She does kind of like you said, she doesn't really take cold checks. You know, she's in there. She's young. She's spunky. Yeah, she's cool. So inside the coach's office, we get hardcore coach stereotype here of like the overweight dude and like sweatpants and a hat with a whistle. And he tells Kolchak that he doesn't understand why the coaches association is even interested in this stuff. And Kolchak says they're working on a study about irregular heart attacks. Both Don Reiner and Pete Burdett were pitchers of health. Coach says they had perfect EKGs. So Kolchak asked him how he would explain two young men who were perfect specimens dying of heart attacks. The coach asks him if he wants the usual rationalization or if he can handle the truth. Ooh. Kolchik is like the truth, always the truth. The truth is out there. Kolchik's going to find it. <laughs> you know it. So the coach says that Don Reiner was a playboy and he paid the price. Bacteria. Kolchik is like ba- bacteria, like, like germ. You mean germs? What kind of germs? The coach is like, take your pick. He tells all his athletes there is a war going on in their bodies, and there are only two game plans. Absolute physical hygiene, or he opens up a file cabinet, he pulls out this can, he puts it in Kolchak's hand, and Kolchak is like, tuna fish? And the coach is like, tuna fish. And that's the end of the scene. Yeah. We get absolutely nothing from this scene except for weirdness. And I kind of like it. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really, I mean, I get, I get it, but I also don't really get it. <laughs> okay, whatever. It's just, it's just there. It's just there. It doesn't give anything to the episode. It's just there. Yeah. So I, I could have left it out and you wouldn't know, but it didn't. So there, tuna fish. <laughs> So then it's 1025 and Craig Donnelly and Betty Walker arrived at Donnelly's apartment after dinner and a few too many glasses of champagne and the lights don't work. So Donnelly tells Betty to wait and he'll be right back. And he like runs up the stairs, but she doesn't wait. And she's super drunk and she like runs up the stairs and she almost makes it, but then she twists the heel and then she falls back down the flight of stairs. So lights come on at the upper level and Donnelly comes around the landing and then he sees her at the bottom of the stairs. So he runs down and she's not moving and he kneels beside her. And then he runs back up the stairs to the landing where there's a payphone, and he calls for an ambulance. But as he's on the phone, we see Betty open her eyes and she just sits up and she gets up and she leaves. And Craig hangs up and he starts to head back down to Betty, but she's gone. And he's like, what? And then he's overpowered by this gut-wrenching odor that makes him head back up the stairs, doubled over with his hand over his mouth and nose. Yeah. When the ambulance does show up, though, they need to do something about whatever caused him to get that haircut. (laughs) Man. Ooh, 70s. Even by 70s standards, that is not a good haircut. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's like the low-rent Dorothy Hamill cut, man. Dude. Anyway. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So same night, 11 p.m., the on-campus living quarters of archaeologist Professor C. Evan Spate. He is the recipient of a prestigious and coveted grant 
and he and his student assistant, Mark Hansen, hey, the big dude that we saw who we figured maybe wasn't too smart. Apparently he's kind of smart. They are attempting to translate a 10,000-year-old clay tablet. I guess don't make assumptions about people just because they're huge and probably play football. Dude, yeah, who made assumptions? No one made assumptions. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you make I did. assumptions? <laughs> I did. Okay. I don't think anyone else made I figured. I figured he was a big, dumb football player. I just didn't say it out loud. So, you know. <laughs> anyway. Well, he's not. So there. Apparently not. So we see Spate looking at a life-size photo of the tablet. So we've got the tablet, and we've got a photo of the tablet, and they're like, you know, one-to-one. And some of the sections of the photo have words written over the markings in black marker. And then they're both on easels. And then, like I said, they're kind of facing each other. And the tablet is pretty, it's like about like maybe six feet across and like three or four feet tall. So it's huge. And so the photo itself is also huge. And then he walks over to Hanson, who's kind of like looking through some old books and a clipboard. And he says like, you know what? You don't really seem like you're in it tonight. So why don't you take the night off, man? And Hanson's like, okay, I guess like Don Reiner's death is affecting me more than I thought. So yeah, I'll go home. Thank you. And so he grabs his stuff and he heads off. So he's like articulate and everything, man. I just made really bad assumptions about Mark Hansen and I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So as Mark leaves, Spate walks over to the photograph. He thinks for a moment. And then in Kolchek's voiceover, he tells us that on the night of May 11th, they, meaning Spate and Hansen, would both discover something. Then mm-hmm. Spate writes the word death with a question mark on the photo. Dun, dun, dun. yeah so like the actual tablet has like these little chunks of like you know carvings and so like on the photo there's little sections and he's writing the fake tra- what he believes to be the translation yes. yeah so yeah so then we get a shaky cam shaky hand cam point of view and we see someone walking through an apartment building corridor and they pass unit 208 and they knock on 207 and we see a woman's hand doing the knocking and the door opens and it's Mark Hansen. And at the door is Betty Walker. And she says he doesn't know her, but she wanted to meet him and she didn't know anyone who could introduce them. So she hopes she isn't interrupting anything. And Hansen is like, no, no, not at all. And he invites her in. And all this is witnessed by another guy who opened his door like across the hall and peeped out. So he saw her because he heard her knocking. And so he looked to see what was going on. And Betty enters and she asks if she can tell him something dumb. And he's like, sure. And she's like, I really want to touch your face. She's seen his face so many times and she just wants to touch it to make sure he's really there, which I... It's a I little creepy. Face. Like just, you show up in someone's apartment and you're like, hey... I wanted to meet you and I didn't know how. So I came to your place, which is already kind of creepy and maybe pushing things a little far. At like 1130 at night. And then you go inside and you're like, but I really want to touch your face. I mean, it's just whatever, but he's a dude, he's a young guy. And he's like, she's pretty. And he's like, sure, touch away. And so she caresses his cheek and she's like, you have such a fine face. And he becomes transfixed. And then we get the scary music. Yeah, freeze frame on his transfixed eyeballs mm-hmm. and then his commercial. Yeah. So he doesn't seem as big when he opens the door as because like when we saw him previously, he was like towering over Siska and Kolchek and Rosalind. And then when he's with Spate, he also he's like a 
like a, a whole like head taller than spate you're like that's the big dude we saw he opens a door and like he looks like a normal person opening the door and then she walks by and like the top of her head comes up like to his like eyes like those are some heels that she was wearing like no wonder she fell down those stairs because those are some giant heels either that or they were just doing like some camera stuff to make him look like a big dude for some reason in the first scene i don't know but like because darren mcgavin is like five foot ten is most of the listens i see i've seen some that say he's five foot eleven but he also like worked for a really long time so some that could be age like maybe his more recent stuff was five foot ten and when he was younger he was five eleven and then keenan Wynn is also five foot ten so the dude seemed huge in the first scene but then not so much here so i'm not sure what's going on she doesn't seem like a particularly tall woman so but i don't know just weird i'm just fixated on mark hansen and his hugeness and my prejudices about what those kind of people would be like i guess and so it's like (laughs) he's not huge he's smart and so he like totally like shrunk down and like look i'm smart i'm not a huge beast i'm just (laughs) Or it's just different scenes, camera work just looks different on camera in different places. So then we come back from commercial and Siska is in Hanson's apartment and he's questioning the guy that we saw looking through the door like a creepoid. And he asks him what time he saw the girl enter the room. And the dude says 11 to 11.30, like the news had just gone off. So we know it was after 11 because it was like 11 o'clock when Kolchak told us he left. So probably more like 11.30. Anyway, and Siska confirms the guy had never seen her before. So obviously he's been talking to the dude for a little bit. He's like, you sure you've never seen this girl before? And he's like, nope. He's like, girls come and go in this building like pollen. So I'm not sure why he used that analogy, but anyway. And if she had come through, he would have remembered her. So apparently he likes her. And Siska says that her name was Betty Walker and asked if that rings a bell. And the dude is like, nope. And so as we hear them questioning and talking, we've been panning across the room and we see the doctor guy. He's looking at Betty Walker. And then behind him, we see Kolchek. And Kolchek is crouched down like on the ground. Like the door is like cracked open a little bit and he's listening in. And he's got his recorder like, He's holding it into the room so he can he- record what they're saying, right? So he's like behind, like there's a there's a patrolman guarding the door and Kolchak is behind him. So the patrolman doesn't even know that like there's a recorder basically sticking out next to his legs. Siska gives the dude Betty Walker's address. And it's like, is that a popular address with boys in this frat? So actually, I guess it's a frat house. I thought it was an apartment at first and then I thought it was like a dormitory, but I guess it's a frat house. And the guy's like, nope, never heard of it. And then he corrects Siska and tells him, that it's a fraternity. They don't call it a frat anymore. And Siska's like, don't give me any lip, kid. I'm going to have to go in your room and poke around and find some of those crazy vegetables. And the doctor says that Betty Walker has a severe contusion to the back of her head and that they can likely contribute that to a severe blow. So Siska asks about the boy and the doc says that he's going to need some more tests, but you can see for yourself, the look on his face, same as the others scared to death Ooh, yeah so rosalind bursts in and she knocks kolchek over when she does so kolchek then falls into the room and onto the floor with his recorder and his camera clearly evident and siska sees kolchek and he just completely loses it so 
He runs over yelling at Kolchak and they fight over the recorder. And Roslyn starts to introduce herself again. And Siska says, yeah, I know who you are. So he and Kolchak struggle over the recorder and they keep yelling. And finally, Siska gets the cassette tape. And he says he'll bring Kolchak up on charges for unlawful entry. And the patrolman drags Kolchak out of the room. Kolchak is threatening him back, saying that he'll file charges of suppression. And Rosalind looks around the room and Siska just throws her out as well. So, yeah, yeah, did not go well. So in the hall, Kolchak is raging about Siska and how he needs to go back to therapy. And Rosalind tells Kolchak that he still owes her. And Kolchak's still mad, and he says, we'll consider ourselves even. And he storms off, leaving her in the hallway. Yep. Not good. No. So then it's May 11th, and it's 12.15 p.m. And I know what you're thinking. Nick, it can't be May 11th. It has to be at least May 12th. And you're right, because he went to Don Reiner's crime scene at 10 a.m. on May 11th. And right. then we've had a day pass, so it's actually got to be May 12th. So they messed up. Anyway, May 11th, 12, 15 p.m., Kolchak is driving, and he says his first stop was Betty Walker's apartment. His next stop was an address furnished by her roommate, the apartment of Craig H. Donnelly. So then we see Donnelly talking to Kolchak, and he's telling him, like, how I, like, you know, she fell on the stairs and checked her and ran up to call an ambulance. And when he came back, she was gone. And Kolchak is like, well, maybe she was still conscious and donnelly's like no i spent three years in vietnam i know when someone is dead betty was dead and he's like i don't understand how she disappeared and culture goes like well someone must have carried her off and donnelly's like in 30 to 40 seconds he says he'll never forget the feeling that he had when he saw that she was gone or that smell and culture is like what smell and he asked Kolchak if he's ever been around war. He's like, have you ever been around war, Kolchak? And Kolchak's like, yeah, a couple of times. And so <laughs> Donnelly's like, then you'll know what I'm talking about. It smelled like death. <laughs> so Kolchak palms the badge from the coat of a college security guard who's chatting up some female students. And he uses it to get registration records for Peter Burnett, Don Reiner, and Mark Hansen. And that whole scene's a little long. She makes him fill out papers and then makes his hand, you know, makes him write neat handwriting and stuff like that. So yeah. it's kind of a funny scene, but yeah, not a lot happens. No. And the registrar is played by Carolyn Jones, aka Morticia Adams, but she's wearing like a blonde, like Carol Channing slash like He-Man wig. Yeah. So, yeah. So then at the INS, Miss Emily is building a crossword puzzle. So she's doing some puzzles again, which is nice. And Updike is either helping or doing something else. He's like hanging around. And Vincenzo's checking on their work because that's his job. And Kolchak comes in with another huge archive file. And Ron asks if he screwed up the filing system again. And Kolchak says, of course. And Ron leaves, presumably to survey like the damage that Kolchak did to the archives. And Vincenzo sarcastically welcomes Kolchak home and asks where he's been all day. And Kolchak says, well, for one thing, I was at the county morgue. And he mentions Don Ryder's death from a heart attack at age 20. And Vincenzo says he knows all about that. He doesn't want to hear more from Kolchak. He read the story. Very tragic. Him and the girl. And Kolchak cuts him off. He's like, that's the thing. The girl was Marlene Franks. She was a junkie and she died. And Vincenzo doesn't want to hear it. 
But Kolchak continues and he says she died eight hours before Don Reiner did. Eight hours. And a week before, Peter Burnett, another healthy student, was found dead in the arms of a girl and she had been dead from a brain aneurysm. They didn't release that information. And Vincenzo's like, no doubt. Kids used to break windows and pelt marine recruiters with rotten fruit. That was bad enough. But now every school is an extension campus of Weirdsville University. And Kolchak is like, no, no, because he realizes that Tony thinks they're talking about necrophilia. So he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, or something. Yeah, he thinks, yeah. You got that wrong. And Vincenzo walks away and he's like, stories like that make him wish he hadn't given up playing the drums. Become a paper editor where he has to deal with that stuff. So everyone, including Ron, is like, what? And Miss Emily's like, you played the drums? And Kolchak says that's impossible because he doesn't have a syncopated bone in his body. He walks off rhythm. And Vincenzo says he had his own band, Tony Vincenzo's Neapolitans. They won the 1940 Westchester County Battle of the Bands. He should have stuck with it. Lately, he's been getting very disheartened by the news service. He goes into his office, walking kind of off rhythm. And he doesn't want to hear any more morbidity. But Kolchak follows him with the archive and tells him about Mark Hansen, who also died. And Hansen had been working with Professor C. Evan Spate to decipher some ancient clay tablets found in the Near East by Dr. Julius Whitehead. And Whitehead rings a bell for Vincenzo. And he's like, didn't we have a story on him recently? He found something in the desert and went bananas. And Kolchak's like, yes, in Iraq. He went bananas in Iraq. And Tony says he should have saved some money and stayed in Chicago. The same thing would happen. And Kolchak's like, that's only part of what happened. He had two assistants. And and Vincenzo's like, basta, basta. That's enough. And that's your Italian lesson for today, kids. Basta. An interjection. Enough. Yeah. As an Italian-American, I'm ashamed of how little Italian I know. So, sorry, Noni. I don't really speak any Italian. Yeah. So, like, he's, you know, he's like, basta, basta, enough, enough. Like, stop. I don't want to hear anything else. He's like, I've been considering a shift in policy. Instead of focusing on the gruesome and the sensational, we're going to get a leg up on our competition by focusing on good news. So he wants Carl to wrap up his story with an upbeat conclusion by finding out who killed those fine American boys. And then he's going to find an assignment for Kolchak that will be upbeat and happy. And Kolchak is like, upbeat, happy. And he almost looks scared. Like Vincenzo's going to like grab something and like brain him or something. Like he's like lost his mind. And so Vincenzo's going on about like possible story ideas he could do. Kolchak grabs the archive and like leaves the office. Like, like he didn't have to go to the desert. Thinking like, you know, Vincenzo has lost his mind. So. Mm-hmm. Then we cut, and Kolchak is talking to Professor Spate. Kolchak is agreeing a lot in that way that he usually does when he's not being honest about who he is or what his intent is. You know, he's like, mm, yes, 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 kind of thing. So suspicious. Anyway, they discuss how Whitehead stumbled upon the tablet in the Tigris Euphrates Valley in Mesopotamia. At first, it was thought to be an extension of the Dead Sea find, which I think they just threw that in because it was something people knew about because those were scrolls, not tablets. And that's like Israel stuff. Anyway, 
Anyway, yep. I actually saw but, those scrolls in a museum in San Francisco when I was a kid. Yeah, and also they were I, found like in 1949. I mean, I guess we don't know when Whitehead found this, but obviously it wasn't too long ago because they ran a story about him losing his mind when he found it. So anyway, mm-hmm. but Spate says that these symbols are definitely Sumerian. And then Coltec steps back to look and is like, oh, yes, 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 definitely, definitely. Still doing that thing, right? And Spake is all smiles and he's super excited to be talking about his work. So don't know what Coltec told him, but mm, something's going to happen here pretty soon. So Spate says, as you can see, it's only about one quarter complete, but it seems to be some sort of religious rite or maybe a recipe. And the camera zooms in on the translated section that says mint. This is where Kolchik blows it. He starts talking about mint and like lamb because he's thinking like recipes, like cooking some food. And then they start talking about like mint jelly and Kolchik is trying to like, no, 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 it wouldn't be mint jelly. It would be mint sauce because they didn't have like gelatinous stuff. And so he's like totally just, and Spade is just like looking at him and he's like, you don't really work for the archaeology quarterly, do you? And Kolchik is like, oh, no, 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 I, I do. I do part-time and spade asks what occupies him full-time so kolchek says independent news service and so spade like his expression totally changes and he's like you need to leave and i'll be speaking to your editor about this little charade and kolchek laughs he's like oh yeah he'll love that and then he just sits down and has a seat and he's like i want to ask you about mark hansen and peter burdett and and then spade interrupts and like and don reiner like the police have already asked about them and they apologize for wasting my time, which means it must not have been Siska because he wouldn't apologize. And that they left and he would like Kolchak to do the same. And Kolchak asked him about the heart attacks. It's based like, I'm an archaeologist, not a cardiologist. And he asked Kolchak to leave again. He's getting super agitated. Like, like he's like putting his hand on his forehead and he's being a little overdramatic, but also he's not happy. So, yeah. But Kolchak says he can't leave because the door is locked. And so Spate like turns around and when he does, Kolchik like leaps up and he snaps a picture of the photo of the translated tablet. Spate hears the camera and he spins around and he tells Kolchik to give him that film. And Kolchik like puts the camera behind his back and he's like, what film? I don't know what you're talking about. Like he's a little kid or something. And Spate says that he's not going to get physical with Kolchik, but if he prints photos of that tablet, he'll sue the seersucker pants right off his legs. And he demands Kolchik leave. And Kolchak asks why a man of Dr. Whitehead's standing would suddenly lose his mind in the Iraqi desert. Spate pinches his sinus area, like, oh. And he says that if Kolchak knew Whitehead, he would understand that Whitehead had lost his mind long before he went to Iraq. Some men are scientists. Whitehead just stumbled across his discoveries like a blundering buffoon. But Whitehead isn't here to decipher the tablets. He is. Spate is. And so Kolchak like claps and congratulates him. And then he's being sarcastic, obviously, and then leaves. And then Spate again is like, oh, my rubbing his head. So. Kolchak seems to give a lot of people headaches. <laughs> then it's May 12th at 5.45 p.m. Maria Vanagas, 20, was an entertainer at an after hours cafe, and she was perpetually tired from the hours she kept. So when she got home that morning, she put her coffee kettle on the gas stove And she laid down to wait for the gas burner to get the coffee good and hot. But she didn't check to make sure that the burner sparked and there was something burning the gas. So the coffee never got hot and Maria grew very, very cold. 
And then the building manager comes out of her office and she's heading to the elevator. But as she's heading to the elevator, she smells something. So she follows the smell to apartment three and then she knocks and she calls for Maria. And after there's no answer, she pulls out a key and she enters the apartment and she immediately covers her mouth and she like runs to the stove and she turns off the gas and then she hurries to a window and pops it open. And then she sees Maria on the couch. And so she goes over and she touches her and then she shouts for Carlos and she runs out of the apartment to get him because obviously she touches Maria. Maria's probably very cold. So as soon as the manager leaves, we see Maria take a deep breath and she sits up and she gets off the couch. And Carlos, who seems to be the apartment manager's husband, he comes out and they go back into Maria's apartment where they're again overcome by the smell and they find Maria is gone and the curtain windows like flutter into the room and Carlos leans against the couch with a kerchief over his mouth like to block the smell and the manager does the sign of the cross against her chest. Yeah, so I don't think it was the smell of the gas because the windows were open. I think it was the smell of Mm-hmm. Nasty. Yes, of demonic sulfur. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah. And we have a commercial. Because, I mean, I guess Maria died. She, she did. Then she, she did. Came back to life. I don't know. Anyway, it's nighttime and the windows are totally lit. So people are working. And inside we see Ron. He's like looking at some archive in the archive room and he's laughing. So he's reading something funny. And Miss Emily is still building a crossword puzzle. I don't know if it's the same one or a new one. At this point, we don't know. And Kolchek is reading from a book about demons. Miss Emily keeps getting super excited because Kolchek tends to read out loud when he finds stuff he gets excited about. And so she keeps hearing words that she can use for a crossword puzzle. So this must be a new one because she tends to do puzzles and themes she had mentioned earlier. And the last one that she was working on was about World War II. So like if she's using like the name of Chief Demons and like Brimstone, that would be odd choices for World War II. So anyway, Kolchak learns that demons create a horrible stench when they perform some of their demonic duties. And of course, they perform a horrible stench when they perform demonic duties. But anyway, I'm again, I'm four years old. So, oh, <laughs> I didn't get that right away. I was duty, like, what? Duty, okay, got duty. It. Got yeah. it. Anyway, so Vincenzo comes out and he says that his idea made a huge splash in New York. And so from now on, They will be writing stories about and with dignity, grace, and humor. Kolchak, who is not even pretending to listen, reads about a Persian demon. And he's like, the Prince of Fiends. And Vincenzo's like, Carl, Carl, how is the Prince of Fiends going to fit into my new directive? And so Kolchak is like, well, the three students who died we're all in one way or another sort of related to Professor Spate, who is translating the tablet of Sumerian cuneo form. And he shows Tony the photo and he reads a partial translation. So the Prince of Fiends decrees the chief of demons executes and he's like, death shall reside without. And he's like, and then something she shall have rain. And while he's doing that, Tony is just like, pacing back and forth and it's about to like lose his mind basically and he says he wants to know how this tablet whatever it is is going to help him finish his story about those dead kids and Kolchak is like well it says she shall have rain who is she all those kids were found dead with their arms wrapped around those dead women no one knows how they got there Vincenzo is like doesn't make sense it's not dignified 
it's not graceful, and it's a downer. And he said, Ron's been doing some preliminary research on some humorous historical anecdotes, and I think you two should work together. And so Vincenzo has Ron come over to read one of the anecdotes. And the one that Ron reads, he thinks it's hilarious, but it actually ends in burglary and arson and possible murder. And Vincenzo is like, oh. he was wanting a happy, funny story, but he got burglary and arson and maybe murder. Mm -hmm. And then a report comes over the police band that sounds like the disappearance of Maria Vargas. And so Kolchak is like, yes, he grabs his stuff. And he's like, super happy. And he's like, another vanishing corpse. How do you run out of the office? <laughs> and Vincenzo just heads to his office and he's ranting about another vanishing corpse. Yeah. Poor Vincenzo. So at the crime scene, Kolchak enters and we see Siska is questioning the manager. And he suggests that maybe Maria wasn't dead. And when she opened the window, the fresh air revived her and she left to clear her head, et cetera, et cetera. And the manager's like, no, I've worked in a hospital for several years. I know when someone is dead. And Kolchak holds up a photo from an end table and he asks if this is Maria. And the manager says yes. And Siska spins around and grabs the photo from Kolchak and says that it should be illegal for anyone besides police to have police radios. And Kolchak's like, well, you should write your congressman. <laughs> and then Kolchak asks the manager if she smelled something rotten. And Siska's like, of course she did. It was gas. And she's like, no, it wasn't gas. It was something horrible. And Siska asks what the smell has to do with anything. And Kolchak doesn't know yet. He's working on it. And he asks Siska if he knows why three healthy young males died from heart attacks. And Siska asks if Kolchak remembers the Tomasita Bakta murders, how everyone thought they were heart attacks. And then it turned out years later, it was a massive dose of cyanide delivered at close range. So Kolchak's like, you think the mob is killing these kids? Murder Incorporated is going around killing college students? And what about the girls? And Siska's like, well, obviously a psychotic is involved. So Kolchak follows his logic and he asks if he thinks a lunatic is following around Murder Incorporated. And when they do the hit on this kid, this nut lays down a girl's corpse next to the body so it doesn't get lonesome. And then Siska gets all red and he's frustrated and he's angry. And he calls for a patrolman to throw Kolchak out. And Kolchak heads out on his own accord. But then he stops at the door to tell Siska that if that's his story, he's going to need to work on it a little more. And Siska's just like, out. Yeah. I love the scene so much. So, so he doesn't get lonesome. Another good, like, again, I wish we had more scenes with Kolchak and uh, Siska. Yeah. But good. sadly, I think this is the last scene we get actually between them. So, which is unfortunate, in my opinion. Anyway, we see a man and a woman walking across campus towards the building. It's night. We only see them from behind, but we aren't going to spoil it. You're going to find out soon enough who it is. You probably already know. And then we see Spate. He's like trimming his mustache at his desk in front of like a small mirror. That's cool. And then he hears someone enter and he greets someone that he calls Michael. And then from their conversation, we figure out that Michael's another student and that Spate has offered him a position as an assistant because Mark was tragically killed, right? And he's like, life must go on. And Mike is very thankful for the opportunity. And so Spate is like, okay, well, I got some things you can, you know, you can start with. And he starts telling him some things you can do. And as they're talking, we see this young woman enter behind them. And we can see that it's Maria Vanagas. So boom, 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 alarm bells, right? 
because we knew she did. Anyway, Spate asks Michael where his manners are. Why has he introduced this beautiful creature? And then they talk about how hot she is right in front of her, which is <laughs> totally normal professor-student behavior. Mm-hmm. And then Michael introduces her, Maria Vanegas. And then she and Spate greet and they shake hands. And then Maria goes like full creepy and like all her teeth are showing. And she's like, <laughs> and just starts laughing like sub maniacal laughter, not full mm-hmm. maniacal laughter, but like sub maniacal laughter. And Spade is kind of like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, and he can't like release his hand. He's like, mm-hmm. anyway, then we cut and Kolchek drives up and he sees Michael and Maria leaving. So I guess Spade was able to get his hand loose. And Michael is not happy. And he's like, why did you act that way? Like you were laughing like some kind of lunatic. Like what's going on? And she's apologizing and calling out to him, Michael, Michael. And then Kolchak sees her, totally recognizes her because he saw the photo, right? He knows it's Maria Vanegas. And so he starts to get out of his car and go over to her. And then she sees him and realizes that he recognizes her. And so she flees. Mm-hmm. And then inside we see Spate and he's at his windows and he hears the weird laughter again, even though she's not in the room. And then through the window, this wind starts blowing through and we hear the laughter. And then he kind of like, oh, and he takes off his little neckerchief thing and he covers his mouth because the stench is coming through the window along with the laughter on the wind. Yeah. So Kolchak appears and he steps through the huge windows doors and he's coughing from the foul stench. And he asks Spate if he saw a girl, Maria Vanegas, outside. And Spate says he did not. And he asks Kolchak to leave. And then Spate calls the campus police and Kolchak says he saw her, but she's dead. And Spate grabs his temples again and is like, a dead girl? A dead girl was here? How have you managed to be a reporter for so long when you are clearly an imbecile? And so Kolchak asks about the stench. And Spate says that sometimes his dog, King Tut, brings in a rat and stinks up the place. And Kolchak asks if he brings in demons, too. And he sees a new word on the translation sheet, like the big photo where he's translating. And the word is succubus. (gasps) So he asks Spate what a succubus is. Is it a she? Is she what the Prince of Fiends says shall reign? And then he asks if that's what Whitehead saw in the desert. And Spade says he doesn't know what Whitehead saw. He was and still is a senile old fool. But he's a ward of the state now and probably still sees things. He doesn't believe in any of it. He doesn't believe in demons or stenches or mysterious heart attacks or dead girls. He believes in the tablet as an archaeological find and he believes in his talent to translate it. And that is all. And Kolchak applauds his performance and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But I just want to ask you one question. What's a succubus? But then there are sirens approaching. So Kolchak decides he better not hang around and wait. So he leaves. Probably a good choice. Yeah. So then Kolchak is driving and it's still night. And he tells us the campus directory gave him a plethora of departments that might have helped him. But it was late and it's the weekend and they weren't real thrilled about receiving his phone call. So he still calls them, even though it was like late in the weekend. He still called them. Anyway, all except Dr. Salem Mozart in the Department of Classical Ethnology, which he does admit is no longer accredited. So... He meets Mozart in a dark, sparse room that looks like it's attached with Janner's closet. So not like the best offices, right? 
probably because it's not accredited anymore. And Mozart is dressed like a priest. He's got like the Roman collar and everything. And he's trying to sell Kolchak some magazine subscriptions and like tell him how like they come with steak knives and just he's again, we've talked about everyone Kolchak talks to wants something from him. Right. So Kolchak shows him a photo of the translation and asks him what a succubus is. Mozart finds the photo very interesting. And he tells Kolchak that a succubus is a female demon that animates ripe young women and then lures handsome young men into amorous situations. Then once in the embrace, it transforms and and then he, he actually he falls asleep. He like drifts yeah. off and falls asleep. He kind of like mumbles and we don't get like what he said and he falls asleep. And so Kolchak is like, that's what's been happening on campus. Like in like wakes up Mozart and Mozart's like, oh, I hadn't heard that. But I don't know how it could be true because this is just a superstition. Then he notices that Kolchak has only selected four magazines. And that's why he starts the magazine pitch again. Kolchak manages to bring it back to the succubus. And he's like, how, you know. So Morsett tells him that a simple exorcism would suffice to get rid of a succubus. But churches are very reluctant to perform exorcisms anymore because it's like, you know, not a good look. So he does know, however, that Kolchak is overlooking the focal point of the tablet is actually anthropologic in nature. And culture is like, uh, like kids are being killed on campus. And Mozart says that he was aware that the Whitehead tablet was on campus, but he did not know that the Pigafetta tablet was on campus. However, he says the photo would confirm that they are the same. Ooh. Pigafetta was an Italian traveler in the 1500s, and he reported finding a Mesopotamian tablet that told of the rise of a succubus but then the tablet was lost. So it seems that Whitehead has found it. And then he gets this large handbound book from a trunk. And he lays it out for Kolchak. And he's like, oh, but we still need to choose your final magazine. And Kolchak again has to like bring it back to the succulents. And Mozart believes that it was written in one of the histories that the only way to destroy the succubus is actually to destroy the tablet. And Kolchak is like, well, we can't do that. Like the tablet's too valuable. And Mozart thinks that it's the only way, but then he gets really kind of flustered because he can't find like the proper place in the books. And he's, and then he falls asleep again. He starts snoring. Yeah. So Kolchak can't read the notations and the books are in Italian. And then he gets an idea. So he goes over to the trunk and he pulls out another book. So he's got two of these big books and there's another book that Mozart was looking at. So he gets that book and he takes his photo and he tells the sleeping Mozart that he'll return them later. And he leaves. And it's a commercial. Yeah. I better know where he's going. <laughs> so then Kolchak is what seems to be the office of the blue monitor. And Rosalind is on the phone calling her friends. And it seems like her contacts for this story are just like her friends and their gossip, which, you know, if you're in college and you're a college reporter, that's a pretty good contact, to be honest. So Kolchak and Rosalind go back and forth because she has told him that she knows Latin, but it turns out she doesn't really know Latin. So Kolchak manages to find the info that he needs. And Rosalind, because she's calling around, she's asking about this guy and she's like describing him. She has this like hotness scale and her hotness scale is like, yeah, yeah. On the hotness scale, Quasimodo would be a two. And Mick Jagger is the only nine, which like cracked me up because she's like talking to these other college kids and like trying to figure out who this guy is. She figures out he's Michael Thompson. And because, you know, they only had the first name. 
So Kolchak heads out and Rosalind tries to follow, but Kolchak tells her not to. And so then she's dejected and sits on the couch because she's getting left behind on the story again. Yeah. I I have to admit, one, I had kind of forgotten about Rosalind at this point, like because there's so much other stuff is going on in the story. I kind of forgot the fact that she was even in the episode. I totally thought he was going to take them to Vincenzo. And like, imagine if like he's having Vincenzo like translate these Italian documents for him. And they're all about like, demons and succubi and just oh yeah awesome that'd that be would good be. that'd be yeah. really good so yeah. i mean sadly like i do like Rosalind, but like this scene is just kind of filler like maybe they forgot about her too and they're like oh crap we got this person we need to write her back in because like even the information she gets about michael because like kolchek heard obviously maria saying michael in that one scene right so that's why he knew the name michael but they didn't know the last name so Rosalind finds all that but like she finds that information and they don't even use it like it doesn't even get used at the end well yeah so, i mean i think it's one of those things when you're writing a detective story. So he's trying to figure out who the guy is. So he could like go hunt him down in his apartment. He ends up not having to do that, but like, yeah, at least he has a name and can figure out probably knows where he lives and stuff. So at least they got that, but you're right. It doesn't really come back up. So, yeah. so, and then she doesn't, I mean, she gets mentioned towards the end, but she doesn't come back either. So yeah, it's too both bad. her and Siska are out. So Kolchik arrives at Spade's residence under the cover of darkness and he gets a crowbar from his trunk and he goes around the side of the house. Meanwhile, Michael is in the archaeology department and he's looking for a book. And outside we see Maria walking through the halls. And then we see Kolchek, Jimmy the window open and enter Spade's residence. And Maria enters the archaeology department and she sees Michael. And he turns and she's like, Mike, will you forgive me? I just act crazy sometimes because, you know, she was doing that weird laughing thing. And so yeah. he apologizes, too, and they make up and Kolchak's in Spade's office and he's about to hit the tablet with his crowbar. But then he sees something better and he pulls a hammer and chisel out from a glass cabinet and he turns around and Spade is standing in front of the tablet and he's wearing a bathrobe over his clothes and he tells Kolchak to put the hammer down. And again, Maria's like, Michael, are you mad at me? And he's like, anger is counterproductive. So, I mean, that's, that's yes. That's a yes, by the way. If anyone's ever like, are you mad at me? And they're like, angers, I don't do anger. It's like, yes, that means they're still mad. <laughs> so Spate tells Kolchak that he'll see he goes to prison and that his new service is ruined if he even comes near the tablet because he totally knows what Kolchak's going to do. And Kolchak's like, stand back. And then he tells him that his assistant, Michael, has brought the succubus there and he could be dead already. And of course, like then we see Maria ask Michael to hold her. And Spate asks if Kolchak would destroy this piece of antiquity for some stupid, idiotic fairy tale. And Kolchak's like, it's not a fairy tale. And you've known that all along. And then he smacks Spate and knocks him to the ground. Yeah, Kolchak getting physical. Boom. Yeah. Down goes Spate. And then... Over with Michael and Maria, Maria goes in for a kiss and we see a wrinkled hand caress the back of his head. (gasps) And then Kolchak hits the chisel with the hammer and he chips off a tiny fragment of the tablet and Spate gets up and tries to stop him. So Kolchak hits him again and he goes down and Kolchak knocks another piece off the tablet. And we see the succubus shriek and she pulls away from Michael screaming and she falls back against the bookcase and slides down. And Michael is kind of transfixed. And then we pan back and Maria is lying dead on the floor. (gasps) It's Maria again. 
So Kolchak is like smacking with the chisel, bam, bam. And then the windows in Spate's place like burst open. And this wind comes in. Papers are flying everywhere. And Kolchak actually by this time is now like after all the wind hits, like he gives up on the chisel and just starts whacking the tablet with the hammer. But the tablet's pretty sturdy for like some 10,000-year-old tablet, honestly. It's like taking some hits. Yeah. And then the screaming succubus flies into the room like in these tattered black robes. It attacks Kolchak, grabs him, and there's thunder and there's lightning and like hurricane winds. It's crazy. And Spate's like rolling around on the floor, being blown by the wind and like hanging on the couches and like stuff. And he's trying to see what's going on, but he can't really see because it's so bright and there's flashies. And like several times, Kolchak escapes the succubus, but like it jumps back on him and tries to get him in its embrace. It's super persistent. But as they struggle, finally, like the tablet's pretty messed up, but like they hit it and it falls over. Yeah, and then Kolchak and the succubus also fall over, and Kolchak's like, oh, you're like, ah, and he knocks the succubus off from the top of him, and then he stands up, and then he watches it goes from being a succubus, wrinkly, raisin old thing, to a skeleton, and then into dust. And then he looks over towards Spate, who's like crouching in the fireplace, and Spate is just like, oh, he's like he's dumbfounded. He like, he's yeah, he's done. And then it's commercial. Yep. And then we come back from commercial and we see the aftermath. There's like some patrolmen and like some plainclothes cops in Spate's place. And Spate's like sitting on like the arm of a chair. And he's just like almost catatonic. He's kind of like moving his leg. But he's just like, again, like that face is just like, what has happened? And Kolchak is sitting in this comfy armchair and he's got his recorder. And you know what time it is. Time for the closing monologue. The campus security force insisted on calling the Chicago police to press charges against me, but they found a sudden surprising resistance from Dr. C. Evan Spate, who claimed the tablet had been broken accidentally. And we actually see the tablet. It's all like just crumbled mm-hmm. pieces in the scene. And despite verification by a confused and frightened Michael Thompson, neither reporter Ms. Rosalind Winters nor I had enough hard evidence to file a story. It had all turned to dust. However, a published story or not, I can only say to you that if you should ever meet a young woman who seems too lovely to be really of this world, well, just remember, there's a very good chance that she isn't. And then it's the end credit sequence. And it's over. Yeah. Although... Technically, those women were of this world. They were just animated by a demonic spirit. It's fine. <laughs> well, maybe the demonic spirit just made them extra sexy. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yep. Cool. Yeah, on Rosalind's scale, if Quasimodo is a two and Mick Jagger is a nine, the only nine, like I must be like a 27 because Mick Jagger. <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't get, I don't get them. I mean, I know people who do and that's totally fine. Not my bag, but like, I did think it was funny that she's like using the scale and like, he's the, he's only, the only nine, nine, which I'm guessing means there's not even a 10. Like, yeah, that's what uh, it seems to be like. Yeah, that's her. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. It kind of cracked me up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of sad we didn't get, like, you wouldn't be able to get the interaction because this is where Kolchak does his, like, end narration, right? So you don't want, you don't want to break the, the way the series works. But I would have liked if, like, Siska was in the background in this scene and just, like, losing his mind because, like, 
you know, Kolchak is getting away with all this stuff and just it, I think that would have been but it would have been hard to like Yeah, I don't know if there's any to, way to, to really do give that. that feeling of him being without him. It's just saying he yells, right? So it'd be right, kind of hard to yeah. do that without him yelling. So yeah. Probably just because like this is his last time. I'm like, I want a little bit more. But yep. Yep. So Tori, what did you think about this episode? Um, it was okay. Like it was fine. I mean, I didn't have any like problems with it. I did like Rosalind a lot. I thought she was a good addition. I think Tony thinking that good news is gonna sell a newspaper <laughs> is probably incredibly misguided, although very optimistic. Um well, hey, the New York office seemed to love it too. Yeah, so. well, it's a, I mean, it's a nice idea for sure. I mean, there is like, I don't know if you know, like last year, John Krasinski had that show that was like some good news where he was just like highlighting good news stories and stuff because, you know, sometimes you need that. So I don't, I think there's a place for that. I just don't know if like a regular newspaper is going to be it, but that's fine. Yeah. I mean, some of was good. It was fine. I would probably give it, I'm just trying to think of ratings. I'd probably give it a six. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's good. I don't think it's their best one. Yeah, it's a really I really like. I got to agree. I think I'm probably going to go with a six as well. I'm gonna just tag along with you on this one. Like I, we kind of have been really we've been really pretty close on a lot of these. Actually, we've had a, we've had quite a few where we give the same thing, and we're actually usually much better than our X Files episodes where we tend to diverge. Yes, we're actually much closer on these episodes. Like, I really like, I think the concept is super good. Yeah. Um, just I mean, Again, this happens a lot with the X-Files episodes, right? The concept is super good. The execution isn't necessarily great. Like the, like I said, like I totally forgot Rosalind. Like, I liked Rosalind, but then like I totally forgot she was even in the episode by the time right. she shows back up. So, well, they just had a lot to cover with the whole like, not yeah. only are these boys dying, but then the women next to them have been dead for, yeah. you know, and it's just a lot. This one probably, of, maybe of any of the episodes, this one probably might have been best suited for like maybe like a TV movie. Yeah. An extra like half hour. So Yeah, it just had a lot yeah. going on. And also so. maybe a little bit more higher production value. The succubus in the end scenes almost doesn't even look like the same succubus in the teaser. Yeah. Maybe it's just the lighting. I'm not sure. Yeah, but. it might be. Because it doesn't, it doesn't look as like, like Fresno raisins, and you know, yeah, it's much more just like a super old, 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 like woman corpse kind of thing. Yeah, so, but I don't know. Maybe it was just the lighting. Yeah, I don't really know. Maybe two different makeup artists, and who Possibly. knows, different days. Yeah, or maybe even two different people in the makeup possible that is also possible yeah yeah so, all right that was demon and lace <laughs> Kolchek does suck you by i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios hashtag really just a bedroom closet episode production design and editing is by lazy and productions our music is dark science by david hillowitz and the truth is what we make of it by the our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode 17 of Cold Check, The Night Stalker, 
Legacy of Terror. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. there. time i think one's fine for that it was good okay you were good you were good tori good job thank you yay